I want to talk about something that uh, we actually do this every single week, but we never talk about it. And that's kind of crazy, you know, when you, when you dedicate part of your service to something and then you never really say much about it. And so I thought we should, we should talk about this thing because, see, this thing uh, is something that some people get and some people don't get it. Um, and then some people, some people think that they get it, but they actually don't get it. See, every church does this thing, but every church does it differently. In fact, this has been going on for thousands of years. People have been doing this. Uh, as you look kind of like just around the world, there are cultures all over the world that do it, but depending on where you go, they kind of do it differently and you may not recognize it, but everyone really does it. Um, in fact, even if you're like new to church and you've never been to church before, or you're kind of like, what's this whole Jesus thing about? Or if you've been here for a long time and you're totally into the Jesus thing, everyone in this room does it, whether you realize it or not. And so the thing that I want to talk about tonight is worship and talk about worship. See, because this is something to me, this is crazy. We dedicate about half of our service every week to worship, but, but we never really talk about it. And so I thought, well, tonight would be a great night to go ahead and talk about this thing that we do. Now, uh, worship is like near and dear to my heart. And part of the reason that it's near and dear to my heart, some of you know this, is uh, because back in the day, I actually used to be a worship leader. Um, that was kind of like, that was, that was my job at the time. In fact, um, uh, my wife and I, Catherine and I, uh, have been married for close to like eight years. Uh, yeah, you know. Goals. Thank you. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. Anyways, we met uh, in a worship band. In fact, it was the worship band that I was leading. One of my jobs was to like choose people for the band and Catherine tried out and then I called her and I said, do you want to be in the band? And she said yes. And then later I asked her out and she said yes. And then I asked her to marry me and she said yes. So it worked out really well, worked out really well for me. And so obviously this is kind of near and dear to my heart. And, um, as I was, as I was preparing for tonight, I actually, uh, I, I uh, um, do you guys know what Facebook stalking is? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Your parents do it all the time. They may not tell you, but they do. Uh, here's, here's what Facebook stalking is. Facebook stalking is when you look through the pictures of someone that you don't really know and then pretend like you know them because you've seen all the pictures and you try to like put the pieces together and you're like, oh, they must be this type of person, right? And so that's Facebook stalking. Well, this past week, I actually Facebook stalked uh, myself, which I don't know if that's possible, but I did. And I went through all my old pictures and I actually found a picture of Catherine and I leading worship from back in the Day. Do you guys want to see? Is it cool if I show you? Okay. All right, this is a picture of Catherine and I uh, from back in the day. Can you guys uh, can you guys tell which one I am? Yeah. No, 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 I'm not that one. I'm this one right here. Uh, I'm the guy that looks like Shaggy. You guys know Shaggy? Yeah, Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. For those of you that don't know Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, he had the Bieber swoop before Bieber was a thing, you know, as in before Bieber was born, actually. Uh, and, and so he had that. He also had a little goatee, and then he was notorious for always wearing a green shirt and khaki pants. And in this picture, I got the swoop, I got the goatee, I got the green shirt and the khaki pants. Like, I am Shaggy in this picture. Uh, and so that's me. And then can you guys see Catherine? You guys know which one Catherine is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's, uh, she's the one with the, like, purple cute turtleneck. And here's the, uh, here, here's the cool thing about this picture. So, so this picture was taken. We were leading worship at a church uh, that was actually in Athens, and it was this small little church. But this picture was taken before we were dating. And so you can, like, feel the, like, tension in the picture, you know? She's, like, looking over at me like, oh, what's he doing? 
you know, like she's, she's wanting that. And then of course I'm like thinking about her, but I'm like, you know, I can't say anything, but like there she is. Right. And so you can feel the tension in this picture between us because we liked each other, but we both didn't really know. Um, and so, uh, and so this is pretty cool. We're leading worship at this church and it's a, it's a small little church and they invited us to play, which is pretty cool. And so we got the whole band and, you know, the drummer is on stage and the bassist and guitar and all that stuff. And I'm about, we're about halfway through the set, you know, like, like, like we're doing the normal worship songs. And halfway through the set, this little three-year-old kid named William steps up on stage. And, and, and like, there wasn't a moment when I was like, hey, uh, all kids under five, go ahead, come to the front. Like there, there wasn't any of that on his own. He did this. He just like walked up on stage and everyone was cool with it apparently. And so like, there I am. <laughs> I love this picture because I'm there and I got my Bible open. I'm trying to lead this like really like spiritual moment. And then William's over there rocking a UGA Jersey with like a tiny mini guitar. Where did he get that guitar from? I don't know, but like he's up there, you know, and he's leading worship and that was the moment. And it was, you know, kind of whatever. And so, so anyways, we're, uh, we're, we're leading worship and we did this often. And that's one of the reasons that worship is kind of near and dear to my heart. Also, it's near and dear to my heart because oftentimes I've been confused and, and lost and didn't quite know what to think about God. And, and, and in those moments, worship has often encouraged me. It's helped me out when I didn't really know where else to turn. And the other reason that, that I think it's important for us to talk about worship is because, like, honestly, I think worship is something that is often misunderstood. I think a lot of us in this room, we've heard the term, but we don't quite know what it is. In fact, even though I may not know you, or maybe we just met, or, or maybe we know each other really well, I think if I were to take a poll of everyone in the room, and I were to ask you, hey, what do you think worship is? Hey, what do you think worship is? I think there would be many of you in the room, maybe even up to half in the room, that your response to that question, what do I think worship is? I think you would say something along these lines. I think you'd say worship is a sing-along to unfamiliar songs. Is actually in your notes, right? That, that, that if you were to reply honestly and say what you actually think, maybe some of you would say, oh, it's like, you know, it's like a sing-along to unfamiliar songs. Do you guys remember, um, you guys remember the, like, Disney movies, you know? And, like, some of them, if you look in, like, the bonus features, they had the sing-alongs. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know, like, like you're looking at Aladdin, and then it was, like, Aladdin and, you know, the princess or whatever. And it was, like, a whole new world. And the thing is, like, bouncing, you know, like, along with the lyrics. And so you're, like, learning the lyrics and trying to sing along. Or for those of you that like Mulan, maybe, you know, let's get down to business, you know, anyways. So, um, and so, and so you're like, you're like watching it and you're watching the little like bouncy ball go across. And maybe, you know, when you come here on Thursday nights, you see the lyrics and you're like, oh, oh, it's like a sing along. I don't like, I don't really know, you know, the words, but I guess we can learn them. There's no bouncy ball, but you know, I'll kind of make do. And so for you, when you think of worship, you think worship is just a sing along and to some songs I don't really know that well. It's a sing-along to unfamiliar songs. And I think that's why there would be many of you in the room that, again, if you were to say this honestly, you would say something along the lines of, I'm just, yeah, I'm not really, I'm not really that into worship. I'm just not really that into worship. And I think the reason you say this is because this is your definition of worship. 
And in fact, I would say, if this is what worship was, well, no joke, I'm not really into that either. Like, that sounds miserable to me. Who would be into a sing-along to unfamiliar songs? Especially if you're like, like, like you don't feel like you have the greatest voice or you're self-conscious, why would you have a sing-along to unfamiliar songs? That doesn't make any sense. And so it's no wonder that you're just not into the songs here. It's just no wonder that you say you're not into worship. In fact, it's no wonder that for some of you, you only show up about maybe 15 or 20 minutes into the service because you want to skip this thing. Because after all, it's just a sing-along to unfamiliar songs. Now, now I think when we're looking at this, I don't think this is worship. Right? I mean, I, I don't think we dedicate half of our service to just having a sing-along to unfamiliar songs. In fact, for tonight, this is kind of the question that we're going after. The question is, what is worship Really? Like, like, like really, when you, you know, when you think about it, when you talk about it, when you kind of remove all the lights and you remove all the instruments and all the singing and, and the lyric, like what is worship really? What are we, what are we actually talking about? What are we actually doing when we worship? And there's a story from close to a year ago of, um, of something that happened that actually went worldwide. And uh, it was actually like a worship service. This is crazy. This happened uh, last year. And I think it paints a beautiful picture of what worship actually is. See, because millions of people uh, across the world gathered together on this one particular day to worship because, because the object of their worship was actually going to be close by on this day. And so everyone gathered up, and as you can imagine, there was high expectation. They were all looking forward to what it would be like to actually worship, and so people actually lined up to worship. They were excited to worship. They made personal sacrifices to worship because the object of their affection, the thing that they were going to worship, was actually going to be close by. In fact, when it came time to actually worship, there was like singing and there was dancing and people were raising their hands and they were celebrating and they were cheering, they were high-fiving and they were calling home and saying, you won't believe it, you won't believe it. In fact, there were news stories about this. Some of you may have even seen some of these news stories of this worship event that happened last year. And people were so into it that they made personal sacrifices. Some students actually skipped school to worship There were some adults that actually skipped work to worship. And as I was reading this article and as I was looking at this story, I realized, man, this is a perfect illustration of what worship actually is. And so thankfully, someone actually caught this on video. And so I want to show it to you. It's just about 40 seconds, but it's what true worship really looks like. Check it out. Look at that. Hands in the air. She's worshiping. And maybe, and maybe for some of you, you're like, wait, no, hold on. What are you talking about? Look, she's got her hands in the air. They were celebrating. They were singing. They were cheering. Everyone was excited on this one particular day. In fact, I, uh, uh, I actually read the article. This is from the USA Today. I just want to read a few excerpts of what it looked like to actually worship on this day. And it wasn't the worship of God. It was the worship 
of the new phone. Listen to this. Thousands of customers lined up at Apple and wireless stores worldwide Friday hoping to snag the tech giant's latest iPhone. The iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus both went on sale prompting customers to weather lines for hours and even days to secure Apple's newest smartphones. So people were lining up across the country because they wanted to be close to this phone. Listen to this. Joshua Schroeder, who's 28 years old, okay? Joshua, 28, and his wife, Kelly Crane, who was 27, um, and they actually had a picture uh, uh, of, of this couple, and it was, it was Joshua and his wife, and then they had like a little like newborn, maybe, you know, one-year-old baby with them. We're in line for a new phone in San Francisco. I reserved one the first day, said Schroeder, who's an app developer with ING Entertainment, and this is what he says at the very end. I need to have the newest phone. Now, um, how do you think his wife and kid felt at that moment, right? As they're like right there, and he's not saying, I need to have my wife by my side. Man, I need this kid. I need the breath in my lungs. No, 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 no. He said, yeah, forget that. No, what I need, let me tell you what I need. I need the newest phone. That's what I need. And then the story goes on. 17-year-old J.P. Kinney. Uh, does anyone know anyone that's 17? Maybe an older brother, older sister, right? Maybe you got a friend who's 17. Listen to this, 17-year-old J.P. Kinney, maybe you know him, J.P. walked out of the Apple store in Freehold, New Jersey with a broad smile, and this is what he did. He raised his new 64-gigabyte iPhone 6 in the air. You know why he raised his hands? Because he's charismatic, right? No, because he's excited about the fact that he's got a new phone, and this is what he says. I'm going to show this off like nobody's business. I'm going to show it off like nobody's business. In fact, maybe some of you, you have friends that have done this, right? They come up to you and they're like, hey, do you see? I got it. You know, the new phone. It's the big one. It's awesome. It's amazing. Did you know that it was this big? Did you see the commercial? Oh, you saw the commercial? Cool. Well, have you actually like, have you, you know, done anything with it? And they move the button from the top to the side. Amazing, right? This is incredible. Oh, and it's kind of like the size of an iPad that you talk on like this because it's giant and amazing. But have you seen it? Do you know? Have you seen this? Ever since this thing was in my life, my life has completely changed. And this guy's bragging about it. In fact, I would guess JP, who's 17 years old, he got the new 64 gigabyte iPhone 6. I don't even know if he knows what a gigabyte is, but whatever, that's fine. So he's excited. He's showing it off. And then it says, meanwhile, at nearby Verizon Wireless store in Salisbury, more than 30 people, this is crazy, more than 30 people were already waiting in line before the sun came up. Before the sun came up. You guys... have you guys heard of like the Easter sunrise service? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is like the iPhone sunrise service, right? They're all like waiting for the sun to rise. They're like, here we go. We're in line. This is going to be amazing. I can't wait for the phone. Many were snuggled in blankets and folding chairs, gathered around a table of donuts. We can thank God for donuts. That's good. Uh, And coffee. Yes, please. Uh, And coffee provided by store managers. And it says this, first in line, so this is the iPhone, you know, sunrise service, and they're all together. First in line was 27-year-old David Hearn. Okay, so David, who's 27, so you'd think he'd probably be pretty smart. He showed up at 11 p.m. Thursday with a blanket and cot. Do you think he went to work the next day? Nah, not at all, right? Uh, Going on no sleep, so he's making personal sacrifices for this phone. Going on no sleep, he still wore a big smile when explaining the lure of the new phone. And I want you to listen to what he says. He says, I can't resist it. It's amazing, he said. And then this is how he finished it. He says, it's going to be 
sexy. And I, and I, uh, I read this article and I stopped and I was like, does, like, has David, does David know what sexy actually means? You know, like, has he looked up the word in a dictionary? You know, cause usually it's applied to a person. You know, I don't know if David has ever met a girl before, you know, like, I'm not quite sure if he's looking at, like, like, is he really looking at the phone? Like, hmm, what up phone? How you doing? You good? Let me, let me take off a little plastic. I'm just kidding. Okay. So, right. Like really can an iPhone, you know, it's weird. He said it. Okay. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. Chris Martinetti, 21, 21 years old. Arrived at this Best Buy in Salisbury, Maryland at 5 a.m. He hadn't pre-ordered and wanted to beat the rush. So, he, you know, he's, he's thinking there's going to be a huge line. I got to make sure that I'm there. Listen to this. By 7 a.m., he was still the only person waiting in the parking lot. <laughs> Poor guy. He shows up and he's like, is this the Best Buy? I don't know. Like, where is everybody? Uh, and then he says this. I guess I overthought it. He did. Uh, I definitely thought there was going to be a couple of people here, at least, he said. And then he says this. I'm just excited for it. I'm more of a tech person than the average person. And then his final line is, I'm just wrapped up in Apple. Wrapped up in Apple. See, even though you may have never thought of it like this before, this is worship. See, worship is when like you can't help but celebrate the thing that you're going after. Like you can't help but get excited about the thing that you, you're, you're thinking about it. You're always like talking about it. It's the thing you can't get off your mind. In fact, this is the definition. This is in your notes. Worship is our response to what we enjoy. That's all worship is. It's not a sing along to unfamiliar songs. Worship is our response to what we enjoy. So the thing we love, and this is, these are just a few of kind of the snapshots from this article of what worship actually looks like. This is what they said. I need to have it. I need to have it. I'm going to show it off. Oh, I can't wait to show it off. I'm going to tell my friends. They're going to be so sick of me talking about it. I'm going to talk about how my life has changed ever since this thing came into my life. I need to show it off. I can't resist it. It's like, man, I've tried, you know, I've tried other devices. I've tried going other ways, but I just can't resist the new iPhone. And then it says, it's amazing. This iPhone's amazing. And then finally, I'm wrapped up in it. Now, the crazy thing is they're saying all of this about a device, a phone. By the way, they're saying this about a phone that after six months, it can't hold a 24-hour charge. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to be plugged into the wall at all times because it's like running low all the time. And uh-oh, I hope you don't drop it more than like six inches off the ground because then the screen will shatter. Like if you look at it wrong, it's just going to be like a spider web on your phone. Like God forbid you ever do that. Or like it's like, you know, like it uh, overheats and stuff and it bends. They're saying all of this stuff about a phone that after a year becomes obsolete because you know it's going to happen, right? The iPhone 7 is going to come out and all the people with their iPhone 6 that were saying this about the iPhone 6 are going to look at their iPhone 6 and say, this is ugly. I want one of those, right? 
But yet right now they're saying all of this, they're worshiping this phone. This phone that has bugs in it. This phone that has apps that crash all the time. This phone that won't survive for more than three to five years. Not a person, not even a drug. They're saying this about a device. And I think, just personally, I think who we worship is so much better than a device. It's true. And here's why. I think it's better than a device because the thing that we worship doesn't need to be plugged in. Right? The thing, the thing that we worship doesn't run low on battery. It doesn't crash. You don't have to worry about this screen cracking. Right? What we worship is a little bit better than that. In fact, what we worship is the very God that made the minds that thought of the iPhone. See, what we worship is the very God that made all of the trees that you see outside, all of the rocks that you see outside, all this stuff in Silicon Valley that actually makes up this phone. That's who we worship. In fact, we worship the God who actually put the stars in the sky. You know, those things that you look at and it's just kind of a tiny little blip. But what you don't realize is that thousands, thousands, sometimes millions of light years away, meaning you have to travel the speed of light. So you got to be going fast. By the way, no one's ever done that. So good luck with that. But you got to be traveling the speed of light. And then you got to go for thousands of years. And good luck with that because usually people like at most live to like 100. But you got to go thousands of years at the speed of light, which no one's ever done, to even get close to the edge of another sun like our own that makes just a tiny little blip in the sky and God made every single one of those. Oh, and by the way, those blips that you see, those are all part of our galaxies. And I'm sorry, there's like billions of galaxies in the entire universe and God crafted each and every single one of those. That's the God that we worship. Amen. See, the God that we worship is so much bigger than a phone, Amen. so much better than anything else we could worship. And I think, I think that our language should reflect that. And in, in fact, I think that we have reason more than anyone else, to use this language about our God. I mean, I mean, shouldn't we be saying things like, God, I need to have you. God, I need, you're the one that provides like breath in my lungs. You're the one that gives me food when I need to eat. You're the one that gives me everything I need. Shouldn't we be saying, I'm going to show him off? Hey, hey, God is... God's like the best thing that's ever happened to me. I don't know if you've heard, you've probably heard of him. Okay, well, let me tell you a little bit more about my experience with God. Shouldn't we be the ones showing him off saying, hey, have you heard? Hey, 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 did you know? Like I didn't stand in line for hours to get this thing, but I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I'm gonna show him off. Shouldn't we be saying things like I can't resist him? Like I've tried other things. I've tried, I've tried worshiping other things. I've tried the phone. I've tried the party and I've tried the drink and I've tried the drugs and I've tried him and I've tried her, but nothing else is working because there's something even better than that. I can't resist him. He's amazing. <laughs> and I'm wrapped up in him. That I just can't get enough. In fact, I think as we talk about what it means for us to worship God, I think our definition is this, that worship is our response to the God that we enjoy. 
Because it's not just anything. Worship, rather, is our response, our responding to the God that we enjoy more than anything else. And I wish, I wish I could tell you that I got this right all the time, (laughs) that I'm so good at worshiping God. And every single time I think about God, I'm always amazed by him. And I'm always like in love with him. And I'm always talking about him and always bragging on him. But I don't always get this right. I wish I did, but I don't. But I was looking and, and some of you have heard of this guy. There's a guy named David that it seems like he just understood worship. He was a guy that understood what it meant for us to respond to the God that we enjoy. And so real quick, I just want to look at what David actually said about God, because I think what he said can actually help us understand what it truly looks like to worship him. So do this. You should have a Bible right around you. We're just going to look real quick at the beginning of Psalm 63. This is on page 572. Psalm chapter 63. We're going to look at page 572. And as we're turning there... um, uh, sometimes when you're, if you've ever read through the Bible, you've ever read through Psalms, sometimes you'll notice that like it has the title of the Psalm, which is not creative. It says Psalm 63. That's the title. And then that's right after Psalm 62. That's right before Psalm 64. That's right. So uh, Psalm 63, that's the title. And then, and then you got the actual content of what the Psalm is actually saying. But then what's cool is that for some of these Psalms, there's this little like sentence or two, this little phrase that is right between the title and the actual content of what you're reading. And a lot of times we just kind of gloss over this and we don't really think about it. But I think at least for this Psalm, Psalm 63, it's really important that we understand what that says. So this is what it says. It should be in italics right there under Psalm 63. And it says, a Psalm of David which is helpful because now we know who wrote it, right? It's this guy named David. And it says this, when he was in the desert of Judah. Now, some of you read that and you think that maybe David was being like poetic or like sarcastic, you know, like some of you were like, I got grounded and I'm in the desert of my room. This is like the worst, you know, and David's not using desert in that way. When David says desert of Judah, what he's saying is, it's a desert, okay? Like literally, he was in the desert. You guys know what a desert is, right? Yeah, not dessert, desert. It's like hot, it's sandy, no water. You guys, you guys feel me? You guys know what I'm saying when I say desert? Now, David was in the desert of Judah, and I want to show you um, because we actually, this is a real place that David was at. He's not being sarcastic. He's not being poetic. He was actually in the desert. In fact, we have a picture. This is what the desert of Judah actually looks like. So that's, that's the desert. Real quick, um, you can play along. Uh, can someone point out to me where the water is? Someone show me where the water is. Do you see it? Okay, here we go. Here we go. If you look, if you look, if you look, it's not on there, right? It's a desert. There's no water, okay? There's no water. And if you look, there's no cloud in the sky because there's no moisture in the air. So you got to get this, okay? David, David is writing this psalm. David's writing in his journal, and he is in this desert, which means the sun is like beating down on him. He probably has a sunburn by this point. His lips are chapped. The wind is blowing. He probably has like uh, a few like white towels that he has like draped over to keep him from getting sunburned. I don't know if he has a camel. Maybe he's got a camel. Maybe it's just him. What we actually know as we, as we read this is that not only was David in the desert where there's no water, But he was also on the run. His enemies were actually chasing him. So David, David writes this with chapped lips, 
with the sun beating down on him. He's in the middle of the desert and his enemies are chasing him. And you got to get that if you were to understand anything that David writes in Psalm 63. And this is what he says. He says, you, God, are my God. Now, now, that is a huge opening statement because what he doesn't say is my iPhone, that's my God. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say the girl that I'm with, that's my God. He doesn't say the relationship that I have, that's my God. He doesn't say the grades that I'm getting, that's my God. He doesn't say the sport that I'm playing, that's my God. He says, there's only one thing I worship, and you got to get this. The only thing that I'm worshiping, the only thing that I would say is my God, is God. And then he goes on to explain what that means. Earnestly, I seek you. Now, if you're in the desert, or okay, not you. If I'm in the desert, okay, and there's no water, do you know what I'm seeking? water, right? I'm thirsty. Oh my gosh, it is so hot and it's dry and I don't have any water and my camel just died and things are crazy right now. There's what God, you are my God. There's no doubt. I don't really worship anything else. You're the only one I worship, but I tell you what I'm seeking. I'm seeking water. So bring on an oasis. Give me some rain, God. I'm seeking water. But David doesn't say that. David says, there's only one thing I'm seeking and that's you. And then he goes on. He says, I thirst, but it's not for water. It's for you. And then he goes even further and he says this. He says, my whole being longs for you. Everything inside of me is focused on God. And then he reminds you, in case you forgot, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. David's saying there's no water and my enemies are chasing me. And I don't really know what's going to happen. In fact, David might have even written this thinking he was going to die. And yet he's looking up at God saying, God, you're the only one that I worship. You're the only thing I'm focused on. And so you're the thing I'm thirsting after. You're the thing that my body is longing for. And then he explains why. He says, because your love is better than life. Amen. Your love is better than life. That means there is nothing better that I've experienced, which means when you're in the desert, it's not water is better than life. It's not my phone is better than life. It's God, you, and your love to me is better than life. And then he says, because of that, because your love is better than life, my lips, those same chapped lips, dry and in the desert, will glorify you. And then he goes on. He says, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Now, this is strange. Lift up my hands. Why on earth, why on earth would David in the middle of the desert say, I'm going to lift up my hands? Is it because he's at him 12 and his friends around him are lifting their hands? Is that why? He, no. Do you know why he's lifting his hands? He's lifting his hands because that's what you do when you celebrate, right? I mean, think about, think about any football game you've ever been to, right? And what happens when your team scores a touchdown? Yes, they got it, right? What happens, what happens when so, like, like, like one of your friends is on stage and you're nervous for them and you're like, oh, I hope they get it, 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 I hope they get it. And then they like crush it and they're amazing and they did such a good job and you go, yes, they got it. Because we can't help but do that when we celebrate. And this is crazy. David in the desert being chased by his enemies is saying, God, I still have a reason to celebrate. 
and life doesn't really look that good for me right now because people are chasing me and there is no water and I don't know even know if I'm going to survive this thing, but I want you to know I'm still celebrating you because there's nothing better than you. And then he finishes this thought by saying this, I will be fully satisfied, fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. So David, David is praying to God and he's talking to God. He's saying, God, I want you to know how I feel when I'm around you. The way that I feel is the same feeling I get like when I was back at the palace. And when we had that like perfectly cooked ribeye steak and it was like medium rare and there was butter on top. And it had like the sweet potato casserole with like cinnamon and sugar. And then, and then like, you know, for dessert, there was like cheesecake and there was key lime pie and there was apple pie. And then there were strawberries because I wanted to feel healthy, right? And there was all of this delicious and wonderful and amazing food. And God, that's how I feel when I'm around you. I am so satisfied. It's like my stomach is full of wonderful, incredible food. And because of that, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. See, because when, you, when you're like satisfied with God, when you're in love with God, when you can't get enough of God, you just can't help but sing to him. In fact, we sing, we sing because we are satisfied. See, this is the whole reason we sing. It's not because our friends around us are singing. It's not because the band gets up here and they're, you know, like, let's wait till we get a really hype song. And when we get the hype song, then I'm going to sing along. But until then, I'm just going to kind of talk to my friends and we'll see. No, no, no. We sing because we're satisfied. We sing because like David, we're looking up at God and we're saying, God, <laughs> your love is better than life. It's better than anything that I've experienced. God, the reason I sing to you is because you're better than him. It's because you're better than her. It's because you're better than what's going on at home. It's because you're better than that party. The reason I sing is because you're better than that drink. You're better than what my friends are pressuring me to do. I don't sing to try and earn God's love. I don't sing to try and make me notice me. I don't, I don't sing because I hope maybe one day if I sing loud enough, if I raise my hands high enough, then maybe God will notice me and maybe God will pay attention. And then maybe, just maybe, just maybe God will care about me even just a little bit. No, no, no. I sing because God already loves me. I sing because I'm satisfied with his love. And some of you right now, like you're in a desert. And life isn't going the way that you wish it would. And maybe there's some stuff at home going on, or maybe there's things with like your family or your friends, and you guys are fighting. Or maybe the thing that you really wanted didn't happen. Maybe you didn't make the team. Maybe your friend group is like going a different direction. And some of you feel like I'm in the desert right now, and God wants once you get me through the desert, like once things get better and once life gets kind of figured out, once I don't feel as bad, once, once things are kind of working out my way, then I'm going to sing to you. 
and I'm going to praise you, and I'm going to talk about you, and I'm going to tell my friends about you, but right now I'm in the desert, God, and things aren't good, and I don't really know where water's going to come from, and people are chasing me, and I've got enemies all around me, so I don't feel like I can sing to you right now. And David said, nah, I'm in the desert, and I don't know where water's coming from, and my enemies are chasing me, but I am lifting my hands because I still believe in the midst of everything that's happening that my God's love is better than life. And that's why we sing. That's why we lift our hands. And some of you, some of you are like, Steve, Steve, that's great. That's good for David, right? Good for David that he felt like God loved him, that he felt like God cared, that he felt like, you know, maybe, you know, God was kind of paying attention to him. That's great that he felt that way. I don't really feel that way. I don't really feel like God's love is better than life. I don't even feel like he notices me. I don't even feel like he cares. How do I know? How do I know that God actually does love me? How do I know that his love is actually better than life? I'll tell you how. Because hundreds of years after David walked through the desert of Judah, there was someone else that grew up in that same area. And he went on to give his life for you. Proving to you that God notices you, that he knows you, that he cares about you. And Jesus laid down his life for you to prove to you that his love is better than anything you've ever experienced. The reason I believe we are satisfied, the reason I believe that his love is actually better than life is because of this. It's because that's what he did to prove to you that he loves you. And even though you may be going through the desert and life isn't going the way that you want it to and you don't know what's happening with your parents and you just wish that like your friends would figure things out and you wish that they weren't going in this direction, you wish that she wasn't gossiping about you and you wish that he would actually pay attention to you. There's a God that looks at you and says, you need me to trust, trust me, I love you. And my love for you is better than anything. Because no one other than Jesus has ever done this for you. Because there is no one that showed this much love to you other than God himself. And in the midst of all of us messing up and in the midst of us being in the desert, God himself sacrificed to be with you. This is why we sing. Because he loves us responding to that. And so I want to give us a chance to actually do that, to sing to him, to praise him, to, to use our mouths, to use our hands, to lift up his name and to celebrate him, not because life is going well, but because he is better than anything that we've ever experienced. So what I want to do is I want to pray for you. And as I pray for you, I want you to begin focusing on God and what it looks like for you to respond to God during this time. So let me pray for you. So God, you're better. You're better than anything that we could experience. You're better than anything that we're going through. 
There's no one that compares to you. There's no drug that compares to you. There is no drink that compares to you. There is no friend that compares to you. There is no team that compares to you. There is no like group of people that compare to you. There is nothing like you, and your love is better than anything that we have experienced in life. And so we sing to you, not because everything is going well. We sing to you because you love us. We sing because we are satisfied. And so now, God, we're going to lift up our voices and we're going to lift up our hands and we're going to tell you just how much you mean to us because you're better than a phone and we need you and we're wrapped up in you and we want to show you off to this world that is looking to phones and other people and groups and sports to fulfill them. We want to announce to the world that we have found something and it is better than anything we've ever experienced before. And it is the very love of God demonstrated through Jesus Christ when he gave himself on the cross. And so it's only because of him that we can pray all of these things.